Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on February 26, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This podcast cuts through the noise and gives you South Carolina-specific COVID-19 news and stories. This episode features the latest research on COVID-19 immunity. We look at legislative parties in the state house and what happened this week in Columbia. The state's tourism director gives us an update on South Carolina's top economic driver. We also learn about how much vaccine has been wasted in the state and more. Additionally, we want to hear your stories. So we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your daily life in these uncertain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave your name, where you're calling from and what's going on. Maybe you're a student back at school. Maybe you're a working parent juggling everything still. Maybe you've gotten both doses of the vaccine. We want to know. 803-563-7169. And also, we're going to be focusing on our year anniversary, year recap of uh, quarantine, lockdown, the pandemic, all that stuff. So maybe include some of those anecdotes as well when you leave a message. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is ongoing, widespread, and not contained, according to data from Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 7,528 confirmed deaths, and currently there are 441,697 confirmed cases being reported in all 46 counties as of February 26 at 4 p.m. Our percent positive rate is 5.1%. Currently, 916 patients are hospitalized with COVID-19, 212 are in intensive care, and 113 are on ventilators. On Friday, the world surpassed 2.5 million COVID-19 deaths, according to Johns Hopkins. 503,587 of those were Americans. More than 46 million Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine and is averaging 1.3 million doses a day, according to Johns Hopkins. Nearly 620,000 South Carolinians have received a first dose out of the 1.3 million who are eligible in Phase 1A. A half million appointments are currently scheduled. Last call. Last call. God, those I hate those words. But let's lead off with the latest COVID-19 political news. On Friday, Governor Henry McMaster announced he will be lifting the 11 p.m. curfew for bars and restaurants effective March 1st. Additionally, South Carolina Department of Commerce approval for events involving more than 250 people will no longer be required. Event organizers are encouraged to follow safety guidelines and to limit attendance to 50% of occupancy or less than 250 people. In a statement, the governor said, with the spread of the virus consistently decreasing across the country and more of the most vulnerable South Carolinians being vaccinated every day, I believe these targeted and limited safety measures are no longer necessary. The virus is still among us and we all must continue to make responsible decisions to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. But those decisions are for South Carolinians to make. That was the governor there. So if you were to guess what the biggest emerging issue is, biggest priority happening right now at the state house, what would you guess? Go ahead and whisper it to yourself. Think about it. Well, if you guess transgender girls, that's a male who identifies as a female, playing intergalactic sports on the girls team, you guess correctly. A house bill wants to keep team sports separated based on biological sex. 
yes, this is an issue that no one knew was a problem in South Carolina, and as far as anyone can tell, is not a problem in the state, but a strategic national push by an out-of-state nonprofit in legislatures across the country has raised the alarm on this threat to women's sports. So much so is this a threat that H3477 had a House Judiciary Subcommittee hearing this week and heard from folks, many of whom were from outside of South Carolina, who have been affected. Opponents to the bill, some also from outside the state, say it does more harm than good to an already maligned group. Yes, Republican caucus polling and House Republican leadership see this, the threat of a transgender girl having a competitive advantage over a cisgender girl on a basketball team or softball team or track team as a top priority at the moment. So much of a priority that the subcommittee continued hearing from folks for a few minutes while the House had already gaveled into session, a very rare exception granted by the Speaker. You may be wondering, didn't the Speaker of the House, Jay Lucas, who controls the legislative agenda of the chamber, create an equitable justice committee chaired by both party leaders last summer in light of the death of George Floyd, mass protests and institutional racism that experts testified time and time again exists in many policies in our state that could be mitigated through passing laws dealing with sentencing reform, civil asset forfeiture, and adding stiffer penalties if a hate crime is committed? Yes, that committee was formed. Several hearings and subcommittees met, and legislation was drafted that was introduced at the start of this year. And yes, the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Chris Murphy, said that slate of bills was a priority for this session, along with Second Amendment rights and abortion, bills we've already seen movement on and will continue, especially when it comes to open carry. So as we prepare to start Legislative Week 8 of 18, what about those equitable justice bills that thousands were calling for in the streets of South Carolina last summer? Yep, nothing. None have been assigned to subcommittees, which is the first step in the committee process. Now, for a timetable, the House Budget Week is March 22nd. That's when they debate the budget all week and then gavel out. They send it to the Senate. And then there is likely a week off for spring break as well. And this pushes all right up against crossover day on April 10th, when if a bill hasn't cleared one chamber to the other, the likelihood of it reaching the governor's desk becomes even more remote. And count out this upcoming week as well for such bills to come up in the House Judiciary, since as of right now, no subcommittees are planned, but the open carry with training bill will be debated in full committee. Now, that bill isn't expected to be the one of choice. Rather, a separate, more conservative-friendly open carry bill will likely emerge. But despite a continued push by the powerful state Chamber of Commerce, along with dozens of big businesses begging the legislature to pass a hate crimes bill, since we're only one of three states in the country without one, The bill, which simply enhances penalties if a hate crime occurs, has not even had a hearing. It hasn't even been assigned a subcommittee. And it's week eight. Typically, if businesses throw their weight behind issues, they become a legislative priority, such as education reforms or pushing against the transgender bathroom bill in 2016. You remember that when North Carolina passed one and we didn't because Governor Nikki Haley and others were against it and it resulted in an economic benefit for us due to North Carolina's fumble? Now, Georgia didn't have a hate crimes law until Ahmad Arbery was lynched exactly a year ago, and then their legislature passed one, albeit a watered-down version of it. For an unequal comparison, nine black parishioners were murdered as part of a hate crime at Mother Emanuel AME Church in 2015, and lawmakers took the Confederate battle flag off statehouse grounds. No state hate crimes law. However, Dylan Roof was charged federally. Now, protests, the like of which this country hadn't seen in decades, erupted last year, in light of the killing of Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, including on the statehouse grounds. Yet reforms with bipartisan support remain without subcommittee hearings. 
but transgender student athletes, an issue being pushed by the nonprofit Alliance Defending Freedom in state houses across the country, has jumped the line and become a top priority. Whereas equality and equity issues, issues which have recently become portrayed as discriminatory by some, despite overwhelming evidence and court rulings of systemic generational problems, remain on hold in the House. So what is on the House calendar right now as we head into week eight? Bills such as making the electric chair the execution method of choice in the state since drug companies no longer sell lethal injection drugs to states, a bill to reconstitute the state election commission to include nine members, five of which are appointed by the governor, four of whom could be members of the governor's political party. The Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate would appoint the remaining members. Another bill on the House calendar would limit the governor's emergency powers. There's the bill making sure houses of worship are deemed essential during future states of emergency, and one bill codifying curbside beer and wine sales currently in place during the pandemic. Now, those are just some of the highlights of the 10-page House calendar right now. Speaking of Chamber of Commerce-supported legislation, senators passed a COVID liability bill on Thursday. Now, this would exempt businesses who follow best practices to limit the spread of COVID-19 from lawsuits by employees and customers. The bill now heads to the House, where it faces some headwinds from Republicans who question the need for it, something that several Democratic senators did as well. Another Senate bill in the House got attention this week. Remember the big political push to pressure the governor to get teachers into Phase 1A, even at one point jumping ahead of seniors? Well, that bill and a House one effectively died in subcommittee this past week. DHEC's director, Dr. Edward Simmer, said if the bill, as originally introduced in the Senate, actually took effect, it would have resulted in the hospitalization of 400 seniors and 3,500 new cases. Now, before the COVID liability bill was passed, Senate Republicans had a bit of a rebellion against the old guard thanks to debate over how to fund a massive $550 million Port of Charleston infrastructure bond bill. The borrowing bill, why she's a big as a post Panamax ship and twice as high, <laughs> was pushed by the State Department of Commerce and State Ports Authority, to maintain its competitiveness by expanding near-dock rail access and barge infrastructure. It would have sailed through the Senate years ago, people said. Instead, it became a referendum on the old ways and the old guard, including Senate Finance Committee Chairman Hugh Leatherman, who is one of the most powerful politicians in the state and turns 90 in April. After days of debate, the bill was amended to require the Ports Authority offset $150 million in funding through container surcharges, despite the state's ample borrowing capacity and record low interest rates. The bill is now in the House. So that was a lot, and we'll preview next week on Tuesday. I think I've already talked for too long. So now we have a short business section for you here. Tourism is one of our biggest economic drivers, and we know the massive industry is still reeling from the pandemic with depressed employment levels and a slow-moving recovery. But I recently spoke with State Parks, Recreation, and Tourism Director Dwayne Parrish about where the state's industry was, where it's going, and what factors are driving it. Worst year, in, in, at least in my lifetime, for uh, tourism ever, but you know, we had the shutdown in mid-March. Uh, we, about six to eight weeks, things started to slowly reopen. We picked up some steam uh, as we moved through Memorial Day. Cases rose again around July 4th. 
sort of had to almost a pullback, uh, you know, one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. And that's kind of been the pace through the rest of the year. Um, came up a little bit in the fall. And then, of course, late as the winter started, cases rose again. Things slowed back down. Um, and, of course, this time of year, and I say this time of year, the winter, January, um, January February, is a slow time of year anyway. Um, tough time. But I will say, if, a, if you're in the tourism industry of hotelier, restaurateur, you can get, you got through these last few months, you're, you've got brighter days ahead. So 2020, uh, worst year, but um, some things have done well. Uh, silver linings have been golf, outdoor recreation, boating, hiking, fishing, and the like. So there have been some silver linings, but overall, tough year for hotels, tough year for restaurants. Yeah, and did you have a dollar amount you can pin on on just how much we saw last year? Sure. We, you know, normally, normally in uh, we're about a $24 billion industry. We lost somewhere between 6 and $7 billion last year. Don't have the final numbers yet. Um, like I said, there were some successes like golf. Um, short-term rentals did fairly well during this time. They offered more square footage, a kitchen, more privacy than hotels did. Hotels lost about uh, 29, 28, uh, maybe 35% of revenue, somewhere in that range. Don't have the final numbers yet again, but somewhere in that range. So restaurants, tough time, probably the hardest hit in our industry. And then the attractions, of course, a lot of things have been closed and there are still some things that are closed. But um, so, you know, bad overall, but mm-hmm. a few good things in there. And I know we're, we're looking ahead towards, you know, getting more people vaccinated. We're going into three months now of this rollout. Uh, but I'm just wondering when we look at, you know, like you were mentioning, a lot of those folks that are so heavily tourism dependent rely on those high seasons, that revenue to get them through these winter months. Uh, could we possibly see more losses going forward? You know, some some restaurants, some some attractions or hotels. I mean, what what's the, the feeling right now before we get to spring break or the summer? Well, you've seen some restaurants close during this time. You'll see some reposition, reposition themselves as a different type of restaurant. Um, you'll still still see a few more of those. Some hotels may enter um, bankruptcy, but you ne- won't necessarily see it. The hotel is a large asset, and typically the lender would not allow it to close. But some of that will happen. Um, but as a, the good news is, if you've gotten through this time period, you know, people now see vaccinations ahead. Um, in our focus groups, people are the intent to travel in the next 12 months is the highest it's been since the pandemic started right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a combination of cases coming down now, a combination of vaccines taking place. Um, I think as the CDC travel uh, warnings ho- hopefully subside through the spring, I do expect sort of a crescendo in the summer of warm weather, the intent to travel because cabin fever is an all-time high. And people, I think, will start to make those reservations, and we'll see that through the summer. And really, I expect a very good fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we, uh, we've been hearing from state economists talking about the job situation, and it sounds like we're about 88% back to pre-pandemic jobs, but the big laggard, of course, is leisure and hospitality uh, for obvious reasons. Any idea about when we can maybe see those numbers really start to tick back up? Is it going to be you know, before Memorial Day, maybe this summer, when we just see possibly a crush of, of tourism happening in the state? You, you, those numbers will subside. You know, it, it, at its worst, we hit about 50% unemployment, leisure, and hospitality. We're now down to about 16% unemployment, still well above the, the statewide average. Um, I think as the spring uh, weather gets warmer, uh, more people start to travel. I think in the summer, those numbers will will more come in line with the state average at that time. We'll catch up. We're just going to be the last industry to catch up from this pandemic in terms of the economy. Thanks, Dwayne. You can catch that whole interview 
on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And as we leave this business section, let's get a little bit more closure. A boondoggle closure. Mm-hmm. Former Scana CEO Kevin Marsh pled guilty for his role in the $10 billion VC summer nuclear debacle this week in federal court. As part of his plea deal, he'll spend two years in prison, be fined $5 million, and cooperate with investigators. The guilty plea bookends South Carolina U.S. Attorney Peter McCoy's involvement in the debacle, which he investigated while in the statehouse and prosecuted as U.S. Attorney. McCoy, a Trump appointee, will resign next week. What? Could it be? Did you hear? Is Andy Brown getting his wings? It is. Tis. Tis Andy Brown. Well, let's start off our medical section with some good news. All right. Hmm. Johns Hopkins reports that the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, also known as VARPAC. (laughs) Yeah, everyone knows that acronym. Come on. They met Friday to evaluate safety and efficacy data for the Johnson & Johnson Janssen Biotech Vaccine Candidate. This is the first single-dose vaccine to apply for an emergency use authorization. Super exciting news here happening. Very excited. Now, DHEC says the first delivery of J&J could be 40,000 doses. But DHEC doesn't know when that first delivery will be. They are hopeful, however, about the outcome of that committee. Now, for context, let's do the numbers. <laughs> Little Kai Rizdal snuck in there. <laughs> um, the numbers. The state receives about 98,000 doses of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines a week, and those numbers continue to climb, with next week reaching 116,000 first doses. So great news right there. Very exciting to see those numbers keep going up. But what will DHEC do once the Johnson & Johnson vaccine comes online, as we expect? Nick Davidson, DHEC's Senior Deputy for Public Health, explains. We are actually actively working on what that distribution plan would look like. Um, we understand this is a different vaccine with, uh, you know, it's just a one-dose vaccine. Um, it's uh, it's very effective, um, uh, but it is a, a different vaccine. And so we, we hope to provide as much choice to individuals as possible. So we want to distribute this as widely as possible around the state. Um, it will be limited because of supply, because of quantity at uh, the at the beginning. So it won't be able to be everywhere right away. Uh, But it is definitely our plan to try to to spread it uh, in a diffuse manner so that it can be an option for as many people as possible. Now, why are other states vaccinating different folks compared to South Carolina? It's a delicate balance. And Davidson says that doesn't mean we're behind. It's that the state is focused on staying true to its vaccination goal. I want to be clear that we are focusing, we continue to focus, we, we, we will continue to focus on those who are most at risk, very clearly. We want to prevent illness and death in our state. And so uh, we do receive uh, an amount that is based on a per capita allocation from the feds, uh, from the federal government and the manufacturers, just like uh, all other states. 
And so there's no doubt you could survey many, many states, and I'm sure many of the folks on this call have, uh, and see that the variety is tremendous as far as uh, what stages people are in and what individuals are included in those stages. Um, and certainly I, I communicate probably most frequently with some of our southeastern partners. Um, and I've been doing that over the past, well, I do that frequently, but over the past week, I've been particularly interested in that. And so, you know, we have some states in the southeast, and I'm just looking over at my notes that I've uh, jotted to myself yesterday, and some states that are doing 65 and older um, with first responders, another that's doing um, uh, 60 and essential, another that is doing 65 and essential, another that's just doing 65 plus critical government workers and teachers. Uh, so it's a it is a wide variety that that um, is across the entire nation, and every state is a little bit different, and every state has to react to that certainly. Um, and so we are uh, very um, we are very seriously considering the next steps, um, and. For us, the biggest indicator is how quickly are our clinics filling and to what extent are they filling. And you heard there at the end, Nick talking about next steps, a.k.a. phase 1B. Yes, the next phase. DHEC director Dr. Edward Simmer said that could happen in mid to late March once appointment demand starts to dip. He was before a House subcommittee this week regarding teachers and vaccines. We heard that the average age of teachers is 43. If you look on that chart, if you look in the 43 range, those bars are very low. Certainly people age 43 can get COVID and can die from COVID. They absolutely can't. They're not, there is risk there, but it's a much lower risk than for our seniors. That's why it's very important to us and why we're recommending we do seniors first. And as we now get through enough seniors that we're no longer able to fill our appointments with seniors, then by all means, let's put the 1B folks in the open appointments. And it's, you know, again, my goal is no open appointments. And as soon as we get through, but we estimate we're at least two to three weeks away from having open appointments because there's still that many seniors in line who want this vaccine and can't get it right now because we don't have enough. You know, so that's our key point here is let's vaccinate the folks who are at highest risk first, help save their lives as much as we can. You know, we've looked at this. We estimate that if we, let's say we, and I know we're not proposing to do this, if we stopped and just did teachers for a week to two weeks and delayed our seniors by that period of time, we estimate we'd have an extra over 400 hospitalizations among seniors just by that two-week delay. An extra 3,500 cases amongst our seniors because of that two-week delay. We did the, we actually did the analysis. That's a lot of people in the hospital ill um, and we really want to avoid that. And again, this is in no way to diminish the importance of our teachers and school personnel and get them vaccinated. It's incredibly important to do that. I also want to mention that earlier this week, DHEC discussed the current rate of vaccine waste that I found kind of interesting and wanted to share with you. Nick Davidson said they were wasted doses, which are quite minimal compared to the 800,000 some administered. Now, the largest contributor was broken vials or syringes through shipping, transfer, or they were just dropped. Of those... 2,619 vials of Pfizer and Moderna combined were wasted. Now, each Pfizer vial contains six doses, and a vial of Moderna contains 10 doses. So, yes, that adds up, but mistakes, things happen. The next highest reason is an open vial, but not all doses were used, and that totaled 815 doses. Davidson says this may happen toward the end of a vaccine clinic. And vaccine drawn into a syringe and not used totaled 177 doses, and lost or unaccounted for vaccine totaled 19 doses. Moving on, 
the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, reports that people who have had evidence of a prior infection of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, appear to be well protected against being reinfected with the virus, at least for a few months. This according to a newly published study from the National Cancer Institute, NCI. This finding may explain why reinfection appears to be relatively rare, and it could have important public health implications, including decisions about returning to physical workplaces, school attendance, the prioritization of vaccine distribution, and other activities. Dr. Lynn Penberthy, Associate Director for NCI's Surveillance Research Program, who led the study, said additional research is needed to understand how long this protection lasts, who may have limited protection, and how patient characteristics, such as comorbid conditions, may impact protection. So, a little silver lining there if you've already got those antibodies. And as we head out, long episode, right? Bloomberg reports that almost one quarter of Americans said they don't plan to get vaccinated for COVID-19, according to a Census Bureau survey. Nationwide, 22.7% of respondents said they probably or definitely won't be vaccinated. The study was carried out between February 3rd and February 15th. If you're one of those people, give us a call. Tell us why. 803-563-7169. And just a note, we reserve the right to edit the call if you spread misinformation. Welcome to our wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us what's happening. Tell us what you're doing right now. Right now. <laughs> if you're listening, stop the car. Turn the podcast Call. off. Call. Dial 803-563-7169. Or tell Alexa to do it. Because I know a lot of you listen to us on Alexa. Yeah, I have. we have that ability to know. You sound very old saying you listen to it on Alexa. <laughs> On the <laughs> Alexa, call Gavin. <laughs> uh, At call yes. call voicemails. What do what do our voicemails sound like? Uh, Did we they get prank sound... by another Alexa again? Did Alexa prank oh, calls? We've we, we've gotten so Stop many prank ask... phone calling us with Alexa. <laughs> it's not funny anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, we got we got a call. Mm. Okay, we got one, baby. Okay, Alexa, play call. Uh, <laughs> Okay, Google, okay, please. Okay, Google. Oh, no, my phone's actually going to hear that. <laughs> shut up. Everyone's probably uh, like so mad at us right now. Everyone shut up. Okay, uh, here it is. The machines are taking over. Hello, this is Eunice Lamacher. I live in Clemson, South Carolina. I had both my shots. I'm a healthcare worker, and I wanted to say I had no side effects from either of one except a little tenderness at the injection site for a day or two. I'm very impressed with the Prisma Health locations. I'm very organized. I was there when all the seniors got in, too, and lots and lots of people, but they managed to keep it very organized. I know a lot of folks have been disappointed that we've got less deliveries than expected, but I've also been impressed with how they've been able to cancel for people the appointment. So I'm very impressed. We also have in Clemson through Clemson University, they're offering community testing. It's at the park near my house, Meadows Park. You can go. Monday through Friday in the morning, do the spit test, get the results the same day. So feel a lot safer because of that testing being so readily available to residents. Um, one of the things I do is work with seniors in my job. I'm a social worker, and I know things are harder for them right now. I used to teach a lot of classes and do support groups. We're doing all those virtually right now. It's not quite the same. 
So I just want to say to anybody who's working with seniors, especially if there's a dementia-related issue, consider contacting the Alzheimer's Association. Their number is 1-800-272-3900, or you can look them up on the web, alz.org. They are open 24-7, that number, so you can call with your questions about dementia as well as get connected to a local support group. As I say, most of those are virtual I'm hoping as more and more people get the shots that we'll be able to start offering classes and support groups again in person. I miss my classes, the teaching I used to do, but I'm glad I still can support people virtually. And um, thanks for keeping us up to date on the news in the state. Very important, which I'll do. Thanks. Bye-bye. Vanessa, congrats about the shot. I was just talking to a doctor from Prisma, and they've done about 210,000 doses statewide so that's been huge for them they're still rocking and rolling and it's glad to hear that was an easy situation for you when it came to rescheduling i've been wondering about how that process has been working and of course thanks for what you do with the seniors that number oh yeah was eight one eight hundred two seven three nine thousand so definitely uh keep up on the seniors in your life maybe volunteer if you can i know it's difficult because of restrictions but uh keep fighting the good fight vanessa thank you Thank you so much. Yes, it's it's, it's someone's got to do it. I'm glad you're doing it. Thank you so much, Vanessa, and thanks for listening. AT, really, really appreciate it. Yes. You told me yesterday that you had something important to talk about, a, a 30-something thing for the I, podcast. I feel like, so, yeah, the, I, I, in the same way that Vanessa's job, she someone has to go out and do that, right? So it's my job to bring to the people mm. uh, just the story of, of my aging and uh, the entropy in my life. Um, a year younger so, than me. Continue. Yeah, you're younger than you, but basically dead, baby. <laughs> I mean, preach. Dusty bones. Um, uh, for well, for uh, so, Mark, I am not the cleanest person in oh, the world. Okay, yeah, pretty clean. Uh, confession time. Spoiler alert. Uh, I don't like doing dishes. I don't love cleaning and stuff like that. Uh, Caitlin is great, and she does all that kind of stuff. But. In this uh, pandemic where everyone went crazy and bought all the, the cleaning wipes and everything, mm-hmm. right? They're just coming back now. Yeah, you baby. know, like you, yeah. can, you can just now see the real ones. We're talking yeah. like legit Clorox Lysol wipes, right? And, li- and, and like disinfectant spray from Lysol. I saw that at Costco. And the, the sprays, day. yeah. Very right? exciting. It's, it's wacky that it's back now. <laughs> um, but uh, so the, we finally got a jug and I finally got to clean my stovetop, which I really do care about. It's the only mm. thing that I really care about no, I love in, that the for you. in the house. In the house. Like uh, they said that. In the house. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I just she looked down at it. She sparkled. Oh, and I was like, buddy, there just really is a difference. These are the real ones. These are good. I'm Ooh, glad we got bah, bah, these bah. back. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, I want to die that I'm saying that. <laughs> so lame. Uh, and then also... Uh, just one other thing real quick real is quick. that uh, we've often mentioned things that Caitlin says here. Yes. And dog is uh, in your court. she, she dog is in your court, that kind of stuff. And she, uh, she came up to me the other day and she, she found out that she was saying Porter potty instead of porta potty. And I explained oh. to her that it was portable potty, porta potty. And she goes, yeah, that's funny. You need content in your show. Use that. <laughs> She's just leaning into it. She told you to stop, and now she's just like, fine, use it. You need content. Go ahead. No, it was really mean. But uh... <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're drinking a porter in a potty, I guess it could be different, but it's very, very niche. <laughs> very, very niche. No kink shaming, but very um, niche. Yeah, well, I mean, I have a fun adult bad stupid news. Yeah, um, hit it. let's hit it. 
Now, if you thought my stories of buying car tires piecemeal one at a time, like I have had to because of the road conditions, Classic uh, if Gavin. you thought that was exciting, just wait for this story about buying a car battery, folks. Hold on to your butts, baby. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, it, like, pretty much dominated my week. last, Starting, like, exactly a week ago, last Friday, I was trying to... You know, leave the house, and all of a sudden my car was dead. I was like, "Great, wonderful, awesome!" All of a Everyone sudden, loves us. out of nowhere. I'm glad it wasn't like you know. Good thing is it's in my backyard. You know, it's not. I'm not stuck somewhere. I'm not stuck in the state house parking garage. And so I was. I had to get them jumped. It didn't jump. It was completely dead. So so began a whole cycle of me. You ordering did bad a battery, to your car. doing yeah. all this stuff, and then I wanted to replace the car battery myself. So I had my friend Jen with me. And we did it all, and then there's this like little plate that holds the battery down, but it is so tucked in this Volkswagen your engine compartment yeah. that I, this German engineering just got the best of me, you know, my people. And I just said, Grr! so then the next day, this is like Tuesday, I guess, Tuesday or Wednesday, because I had let it go, because I got a state car. I was able to get a vehicle perks from work. Perks of the work. job. Perks of the, perks of the perks job. Of being I'm on, a, a you know, I'm on call. Celeb. I got to have things. I got to be able to go. So I got a <laughs> delicious Chrysler Voyager. Oh Chrysler. my God, Chrysler Voyager, uh, just roomy, enough room for me and my non-existent children. And your whole family, oh, yeah. I mean, just, you can't put a price on comfort, okay? I'm no. just going to say it. You can't. Of, you can't put a mind, price on comfort. comfort. You can't put a peace of mind. I mean, the two the two go hand in so hand. So much room, so much space. Oh, I didn't want to give it up, So, but I did because, you know, it that's not my job. It became part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they they towed it out we got it they just popped the battery and i was worried that it was like the alternator or something else but it was just the battery thank god it's been five years so that thing was due but and i mean you free... leave you leave your radio on all night oh, so your car doesn't get lonely all night <laughs> i leave it running all night people outside want to hear things but it just reminded me of just how much of a pain things can be and my car is like a 2017 so it's relatively still new it's so old it's yeah. but like I was like, oh, is it the alternator? Is it this? Is it a fuse? It just becomes a whole issue. And then you get to go buy a battery. You get to look it up online. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ugh. If you listen to memes, though, if you listen to memes, I hope you took that old battery and threw it in the ocean. Because <laughs> you know? it, it it's good and legal, and it charges the electric eels and powers the jet stream. <laughs> Which we don't support. But no, I was. I, they took it. I took it to Pope Davis, and they kept it. I meant to bring it back to AutoZone to get my five bucks back, but whatever. Say lovey, keep it. I don't care. The car works. We live to fight another day, another car battle. <laughs> but let us know if you have like. Let us know some of your problems. This has been a little bit of a a whiny wind down section, but that's life. More that's like bu- wind down. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening to the pod, y'all. We appreciate it. We always do. We really do. We mean it when we say it. You can show us your appreciation by leaving us an iTunes review or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public Radio.org as well. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. Oh, that just reminds me. I need to pledge. I know the no pledge drive. Pledge drive is over now, but I still need to do it because February is my month. And you should too become a member. Just 40 bucks. That's the starting rate. If you pledge at 75 bucks, you can get access to PBS Passport. You heard it here first, folks. And all that great programming, your donation helps support. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Oh, have you seen him do this? 
<laughs> oh, not many people get to. See. Shh, not many people see this. <laughs> oh, this is a treat. This is a treat. This is rare. <laughs> <laughs>